Amen. Tell you what, we've already had a wonderful service. Uh, too bad I have to ruin it now, huh? Thank you for being here. I'm, I'm doing a series uh, on the ABCs of stewardship, and today we come to letter C, which is consecration, and uh, th that excites some of you because you're thinking, okay, this is it. This is the last one. No, there's a D, <laughs> all right, that we'll cover next week. It's actually the ABCs and D of stewardship. But I've, I've really enjoyed this series, and I hope that uh, perhaps something has been said uh, that stimulates uh, your thinking about the possessions that God has blessed you with and who they really belong to. I don't know how, how many readers we have in the crowd today. How many of y'all just really enjoy reading? You like to pick up books and read them? And, okay, a few of you, a few of you. I, I read all the time, and, and I enjoy reading. I'd like to begin this morning by recounting the contents of a book that was published in 1994. It's entitled, Leo the Late Bloomer. It's a children's book, all right? It has a tiger on the front of it. Great, great little book. And in the book, Leo, just a little fella, uh, could not read or write. He barely even talked. And his dad was really becoming concerned. And so his dad prodded him and he watched over him and he worried over him so that little Leo would start reading and writing. Uh, really, dad became one of those helicopter dads just hovering over his little boy. Mom wasn't really worried about it. And finally, Mama said in the book to her husband, Stop watching him so closely. Late bloomers can't bloom when they're being watched. And so Dad backed off and gave him some space. And you know what? By the end of the book, Leo is talking, he's reading, he's writing. And at the end of the book, he says, I've made it! He became a reader. Isn't that great? Here's what I know. A, a lot of us are just like Leo. A lot of us, spiritually speaking, are late bloomers. We come to church week after week. We listen to the sermons. We sit. We soak it up. But it really doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't click in our heads until finally one day something happens. Something is said. The Holy Spirit moves. And a light comes on. And all of a sudden we get it. I really believe that the best spiritual growth takes place in our church during the week or the month of stewardship. Because what we're doing during this series is discussing our personal relationship with God. His blessings that come into our life and then how we handle them. And my prayer all week has been, Lord, would you help some of us get it today? May the light come on and may today we bloom spiritually. Well, for that to happen, you need to pay attention to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And I'm going to read a passage here in a minute. Uh, our real story starts in verse 17. But I want to back up and start reading in verse 13 so you can kind of get a taste for what Jesus is going to say here in just a moment. So here we are in Mark chapter 10. I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me. You can watch there as I read beginning in verse 13. Then they brought little children to Jesus. That's already happened in our church this morning, hasn't it? As we've had a de dedication. I love dedications. We're going to have a couple of more this month. And so just get ready for them, all right? Then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. 
for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said after, and he answered and said unto him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great treasures or possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. In the middle of this passage that I read, we have the story of this young man. We call him the rich young ruler. What do we know about this guy? Well, there were four things in his past that had an impact on his present. Let me just share those with you. First of all, we know that he was very wealthy. In fact, in verse 22, it tells us that he had great possessions. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of stuff. Did you know that wealth brings into your life options? Doesn't it? Wealth brings options. He had the ability to choose. He could choose when he got up in the morning because he didn't have to go work a job. He, he was independently wealthy. He could choose what he ate and when he ate it. He could go to his wardrobe closet and pick whatever robe he wanted to wear that day because he had many of them. He could go to his stable and decide which motorcycle or horse... <laughs> He wanted to ride that day because, again, wealth brings options. The issue for us today is not do we have possessions because everyone in this room has possessions. No, the issue is this. Do possessions have you? Do your possessions have control of you? Some of us are like that fly on the fly paper. The fly said, I like it so much here I think I'll stick around. The fly was not holding on to the paper. The fly paper was holding on to the fly. And the major problem with this rich young ruler was not that he had possessions, but that his possessions had a strong hold on his life. His stuff controlled him. 
The second thing we know about him is that he was a ruler. This story is told in almost all the Gospels, and Luke tells us that this young man was a ruler. In other words, he was a man of influence. He was a person of influence. He had people under his authority, and he was a man of power. Others came into his presence and bowed before him. He was honored and he was revered. He was a ruler. And along with this came influence. He was also of good moral character. He was a nice guy. In verse number 20, he tells us that since his youth, he had kept all the commandments. He was a church-going man. He was spiritually inclined. He was just an outstanding citizen, a nice guy, and a good neighbor. If you had to pick anybody to live next door to you, you would pick this guy. He's just a great guy. And then we find out, number four, that he was young. In other words, time was on his side. Matthew, in telling this story in chapter 19, verse 20, says that he was a young man. So his future was bright. He was rich. He had options. He was a ruler. He had influence. He was a man of good moral character. He was a nice guy, and he was also young, so he had a whole lot of time. And as I go down that list, I go, check, 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 check. Rich young ruler, check. He had it together. Yeah? He had lassoed his world. He had his world by the tail, and he was living life to its fullest. Wow, aren't you just a little bit envious of this guy? I mean, he had it all. Not only that, he had a pretty good personality. Let's give him a personality test. We know he was a man of courage. Here was a Jewish ruler who came to Jesus in broad daylight with a legitimate religious question. And the significance of that is simply this. All the other rulers were conspiring to bring Jesus down. And if they did come to Jesus with a question, it wasn't a real question. They were simply asking him a question to try to trick him. This rich young ruler came and asked a real question. And he even came in broad daylight, unlike Nicodemus, who came at night. Pretty courageous. He was the only one of his kind who did that. He had guts. Number two, he was spontaneous. Verse 17 tells us he ran to Jesus. As Jesus was walking away from blessing these children, this rich young ruler ran to catch him. You might be thinking, big deal. <laughs> well, it was a big deal. Because no matter how young rulers were, they never ran. To run was to lose face. People would run to rulers, but rulers never ran. Say that ten times, all right? Here, throwing caution to the wind and cutting across the grain of his own culture, he ran to Jesus spontaneously. Number three, he was humble. Verse 17 again tells us that when he met up to Jesus, he knelt down before him. I really believe that he admired Jesus, and he really wanted an answer to his question. So much so that he lost focus of who he was. He was a ruler. Rulers didn't bow. Other people bowed to rulers. Yet he's finding himself bowing down before the good teacher. He had a humble heart. And he was open. 
he asked Jesus a legitimate question. In verse 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was a genuine question. He was being real and open and transparent. In that day, rulers had all the answers. But the only thing this young man had was questions. And so he asked Jesus. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that this young man had a whole lot going for him? Huh? Wouldn't you agree with that? He had a lot going for him. Here was a rich, young, good-looking guy with good morals, courageous, spontaneous, humble, and open. He was too good to be true. Listen, he was the kind of guy you wouldn't mind your daughter dating. All-American young man had it together. But... Jesus looked beyond all of that stuff on the outside, and Jesus saw his heart. Now, I've looked around this morning several times. I've, I've tried to look around at each one of you, and here's what I've got to tell you today. You look good. And I'm, I'm not just being cheesy. You really do. You look good. Every one of you, you're looking good. I'm not just saying that because at the end of the month we have our business meeting, all right? I really mean that, right? From the bottom of my heart. You guys look good. But behind the nice clothes and all the pre-makeup and the hairspray, Jesus sees your heart. I mean, I just see the outside, and I know you, and I'm saying you're looking good. But how good does your heart look? See, this young man had it together. He had it together. He was looking good. But Jesus saw his heart. That's the third thing I want you to see. Jesus saw his need. Really, it was a threefold need. This young man was spiritually frustrated. Jesus told him in verse 21, One thing you lack. There's one thing. Just one thing you lack. That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? I'm sure if Jesus looked at me, <laughs> he would find a whole lot of lacking. But he said to this young man, there's just one thing you lack. This rich young ruler did not come to Jesus out of a sense of guilt. Because he knew he was a good guy. Yet there was something missing in his life. It was not guilt, nor was it conviction. I think it was frustration that brought him to Jesus. Some of you know that frustration. Isn't it frustrating in your life when you try so hard to be good? Isn't it frustrating when you try so hard to do good? I mean, you come to church, you sit there with your Bible open, you're listening to me try to preach, you get involved in doing good things like adopt a family and feed the homeless and dozens of other good things that we do in our church, yet... There is an empty darkness deep inside of you. There's a hole in your heart. And no matter what you do or how hard you try, it's still empty. You're frustrated. What else do I have to do? That's this guy. That's where he was. Not only that, he was spiritually immature. Verse 19, after he had asked the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said in verse 19, well, you know the commandments. 
Then he just started listing a few of them. He, he had six of them listed. And, and here's what the young man said after the sixth one. Oh, I know those. I've kept all of them. Since I was a little kid, I have done all of that. Really? Now, Jesus didn't say that to him, but you know what? I would have. <laughs> really? All of them? This young man is not ignorant, but I think he's spiritually naive. He knows all the right answers. And on the surface, he looks really good. But all of them? Really? Honestly, I think he had a problem with the very first commandment. Remember what it is? You shall have no other gods before me. He did. <laughs> his God was his possessions. His God was the stuff of his life. You shall have no other God before me. And from that we get the great commandment that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important thing. The number one thing in our life has got to be God. And it wasn't for this young man. I really think that brings me to ask the big question to you. Is God really first in your life? Really, think about it. Is God number one in your life? When God is not first, there is a nagging sense of frustration that will consume your life. You show me a Christian who has not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and given Jesus everything, and I will show you someone who is totally frustrated with life. That's just the way it is. Because you can't buy happiness. Stuff will not purchase peace. That only comes when we submit to Jesus. And we give Him everything. And because of His spiritual immaturity and His frustration, I think He be had become spiritually independent. Number three. Verse 17, what shall I do? That's what He asked Jesus. What shall I do to be saved? Basically, it's what he's saying. What shall I do to be saved? That was really the wrong question. But you know what? When you're a doer, that's, that's what you're going to ask. How many doers do we have out here today? Okay, more of you than that. Most of us are doers. If you're a doer, this is what you ask. Okay, what do I have to do to fix the problem? What do I need to do to make this better? Right? I mean, that's the way we think. Give me a list. I'll roll up my sleeves and I'll do it because I'm a doer. My name's Leo and I'm a doer. <laughs> I really think that's what he was referring to. What do I need? Jesus, what do I need to do? And I think he thought Jesus would give him a list. Build a hospital and have your name on the door. Climb a mountain. Do something incredible. The real question is, God, what do you want me to become? Lord, what do you want me to be? To, to, to many of us, we are trying to do before we become. And Jesus says, stop trying to do and just be. Be the person I want you to be. Be mine. And I'll do everything through you. You be mine. You see, the Bible teaches the source of our fulfillment is dependence on God. 
That's when we're fulfilled, when we depend upon God. For the rich young ruler, the source of his fulfillment was in his possessions. And he was frustrated. Go back to verses 13 through 16. When Jesus said we are to become like little kids, and that's the key to it, we become like children. If you really want peace and happiness and joy in your life, you need to become like a little kid and let God the Father and Jesus the Son take care of you. Did you know there are some people, some church people, who go through life and they really don't need God because they think they have everything under control? Some, some people have done nothing big for God for so long they, they don't need God. They don't need miracles. For some people, the biggest thing they do spiritually every day is ask God to bless their food. If there is one thing that God hates in your life, it's independence. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus loved this guy because Jesus saw his potential. And make no mistake, Jesus looks at each one of you today, and guess what? Jesus loves you. Jesus sees your potential. Jesus loved this young man so much that he woke him up with radical therapy. He gave him a two-part treatment. This is what Jesus said, okay, here's what you got to do then. Go and sell, come and follow. Go and sell all your possessions, give everything of the proceeds to the poor, and then come and follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Personally, I don't think he even heard number two. He got stumped on number one. Because that's what he loved more than anything else, his possessions. And when Jesus told him, go and sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor, it, it blew him away. But you've got to wonder, why did Jesus tell him that? Well, very simply, because Jesus knew that his possessions were controlling him. And man cannot serve two masters. Jesus said it can't be done. You cannot serve both God and money. It's got to be one or the other. Huh? This rich young ruler had to get his possessions under control or he had to get rid of them. And so Jesus said, go and sell everything. You know, there's nothing wrong with possessions, is there? There's nothing wrong with stuff. We all have stuff. The issue is, do our possessions have us? When it comes to possessions, there are really three levels of control. Let me just talk about that for a second. See which level you're on. First of all, there's the top level. When you're at the top level, you understand that God controls both me and my possessions. It goes back to the first Sunday that I preached on stewardship and I talked about your attitude. You understand at this level that God owns everything and you're simply the manager. Okay? God owns it all, whether it's your money or your house or your car or your kids or your grandkids. No matter what it is, God owns it, and He's just letting you take care of it. Okay? And when you understand possessions in that regard, I mean, you're good. Everything's good. You're not consumed by possessions. You love God. And so when God tells you, okay, you've had that long enough, I want it back, you give it back to Him. Or when he tells you, you know what, I blessed you with that thing and it's been a blessing to you, but now I want you to give that to somebody else and let it be a blessing to them. You're okay with it because you're not holding on to things. 
Your God is not your possessions. Your God is God. <laughs> and you're listening to Him. That's the top level. Middle level says, I control my possessions. God doesn't control them. I do. I mean, you have the attitude, God didn't go out and work that job. I did. This is my money, and I have control over it. I'll call the shots. And really, okay, when you really get down to it, this is where a lot of us live. We think it's ours, and I'm going to control it. Why, why do I say that? Well, because I just know us. I know me. I know you. I, I know there are a lot of churches who try to be this way. It's my church. God hadn't been a member of that church in so long, they, they would be surprised if Jesus did walk in the door. Because here's what a lot of churches do, okay? A lot of churches take men or women who have business minds, who are real good thinkers in business, and they put them in leadership positions of the church. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with that as long as those people have a heart for God. But this is not a business. And it can't be ran like a business. This is God's. And if we have anything, we need to have a heart for God. Okay? It's not yours. You don't own it. You don't possess it. Did you see the problem? When you live in this middle area, I own it, I possess it, it's mine, I control it. Do you see how frustrating that can be? Or there's the third level, the bottom level, when our possessions control us. And that's where the rich young ruler was. His possessions were controlling him. Jesus saw that. So Jesus gave him some radical therapy. Jesus said, you need to get rid of all that stuff. There may be people here today who are in that bottom level. You are being controlled by the stuff of life. Jesus has radical therapy for you. Just get rid of it. What are the reactions to this story? Well, let's go through the list here. The rich young ruler was sad. And Jesus told him this, verse 22. He was sad. And Jesus told him he was sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. And so he walked away sorrowful. It's too bad, isn't it? What was Jesus' reaction? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say it, but I think Jesus was pretty sad too. I think his heart was filled with sorrow because the Bible does tell us Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw his potential. Jesus knew what this young man could be. And it made Jesus sad because the young man made the wrong choice. Well, that hit, hits home, doesn't it? How many of you know people, maybe they're in your family, that, man, they have so much potential. They're just like this rich young ruler. They have charisma, they have stuff, they got it together. And you think, man, they could, they could do the kingdom of God so much good. They could be such a, an influencer to other people. But yet there's something between them and the Lord. Doesn't that make your heart sad when you see people like that? Jesus was sad. What about the disciples? They were shocked <laughs> when they heard all this. In fact, they, 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 they said, okay, Jesus, if that's the case, who in the world can be saved? If this rich young ruler can't be saved, who can be saved? 
Verse 23, Jesus looked around and, and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then he told this little story. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished saying among themselves, well, who can be saved then? Let me back up and tell you the theology. Here's what these disciples had been taught. They had been taught that rich people had the favor of God on their lives. So if you run across someone who is wealthy or rich, it simply means that God has favored that person and blessed that person. Therefore, they're blessed by God. They're in with God. And so now they're very astonished when Jesus said that, that it's hard for rich people to be saved. Well, then Jesus, who can be saved? I mean, if, if rich people can't be saved, they, they didn't get it. They were like Leo. <laughs> the light hadn't clicked. Really what Jesus was saying is this. This is the reason it's hard for rich people to be saved. It's not that rich people can't be saved. They can be saved. It's difficult because here's where most rich people are. Or even people like you and me. We're trusting our possessions. The stuff of life has become our God. And all of this stuff we have has become more important than God. That's what was amazing. You see, you see it's not what you collect, but what you commit that opens the doors of God's blessing on your life. Really, what's most important, I guess, is what's your reaction to this story. What is it? What is your reaction? You've got a reaction. If you've turned everything over to God, and you're living in that, uh, that rare atmosphere up there where you understand that everything belongs to God and you're just the manager, okay? If that's where you are in life, you look at this young guy and you say, Dude, go for it! And you're kind of rooting him on. Because you want to see him fulfilled in life. You want that frustration to leave. You want him to be committed to Jesus. And so you're rooting for him. Do it, man. Give it away. Take up your cross and follow him. It's worth it. Go for it. Right? On the other hand, if, if you yourself have not given everything over to God, you're holding back, then you feel sorry for him. Right? Steps to spiritual fulfillment. I'm about finished. Here they are. Number one, it is impossible to find fulfillment in possessions. Can't do it. You can't be happy. Money can't buy you love. Because how much is enough? When are you going to have enough? I know people who say all the time, if I just had that, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Because there's always something bigger and better out there. The next new thing. If I just had that house, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If I just had that car, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Because number two, Jesus alone gives us fulfillment. It's only when you give your heart to Jesus that you find that peace that passes all understanding. 
and that you have true joy in your heart. Because here's the deal. Again, I've said it dozens and dozens of times, but it's the truth. When God made us, God made us with this huge hole in our heart. And we spend all of our life trying to find fulfillment, filling that hole up with the stuff of this life. But it's an endless hole. Stuff can't fill it up. Even relationships can't fill it up. Money can't fill it up. The only thing that can cork that hole is a relationship with God. And that only comes through personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can give you fulfillment. That brings me to number three. You need to commit it all to God. That, that's the key to stewardship. Just give it all to God. Give everything back. To, he owns it anyway. So don't hoard over it. Don't hold on tightly to it. Hold everything with, with open hands. Even your kids and your grandkids. Because one of these days, God is going to want those kids back. And you need to release those kids to God. As well as everything else that you have. Just give it to God. That begins this morning when you give Him your heart. Or for some of you, when you recommit your heart to Him. And then just release everything else to Him. Say, Lord, it's yours. Help me to be the best manager I possibly can be with all of your stuff. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this time of invitation. I pray that you would speak to hearts. Dear Lord, for those who need to come today and be saved, I pray that they would come and trust you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for those...